the first ever Thinking Collaborative podcast, where we showcase the amazing work that our international community of trainers is engaged in to improve schools and organizations. I'm Carol Brooks Seminole, and I've worked as a teacher, a reading consultant, a trainer for cognitive coaching and adaptive schools, and for the past six years, a co-director for Thinking Collaborative. Hi, I'm Doreen Miori Marola, and um, I've worked as an English teacher, department chair, union officer for about 38 years. Also, a de um, staff developer for training associate for cognitive coaching, habits of mind, and adaptive schools. And um, I, with Carol, we met a long time ago in Skinny Atlas, New York. Um, we've been together as co-directors for, uh, as Carol said, about six years. It seems sometimes longer and sometimes it feels like a, a week, right? Hi there. I'm Lisa Joseph and I've been working with this organization for about 21 years come this December. I always am able to gauge when I started because my youngest daughter was two at the time. She's now 23. I began as an office manager and then was asked to join as a co-director for Thinking Collaborative a couple years ago. My main responsibility is to manage the Thinking Collaborative business activities on a daily basis. So today we have Jill Hankey, Training Associate for Adaptive Schools from Sydney, Ohio. As we will do in each episode, we'll ask Jill 11 questions based on Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors format to get insights on her leadership, her use of adaptive schools and how she's being innovative in the field of educational leadership. Um, at the end, we planned a little surprise lightning round for Jill. So um, hang in there. You'll hear some fun answers. Jill, to begin, please tell us a bit about your background and how you got into the field of education. Yeah, um, so I am in Sydney, Ohio, which is kind of um, West Central Ohio. And um, I grew up in Michigan uh, as a suburb of Toledo. So um, I can use my hand to point where I'm from. I think that's super fun. And um, then um, I went to the University of Toledo um, and got a bachelor's degree in early childhood education. So my background is pre-K-3. That's what my license is for. And um, I think I just always wanted to be a teacher. Another passion of mine is uh, being in band. I play horn. I'm still an active player. So I kind of had two pathways to choose leaving high school. Do I go to music and be a music educator or do I do just, um, or not just, but do I do early childhood education, which was something else I was interested in. I decided to keep music as a hobby and head towards um, education. So I still play. Um, and I get to do what I do now um, in my day job. So um, fast forward, I made it to Sydney, Ohio. And um, when I got here, I was a Title I reading support teacher uh, for two years in a building. That was after a year of being an aide. So my first year here, I was an aide for a second grade teacher for half of a day. Um, a lot of times I subbed the other half a day around the district to get to know people. And then I, for two years, I was a reading support teacher. And then the next year, uh, we reconfigured the district. My building closed, and I was placed at the board office 
um, in a position that didn't really exist. Um, they needed to use some money for professional development for teachers and decided to use it on a person. So um, I always think back on that because I was so upset. Um, I cried. I remember crafting the email of, you don't want me to go to the board office. I need to be in the buildings with the people. Um, and I got shot down and I went there anyways. And this is my, I was counting earlier, my 10th year. Um, and where I'm supporting teachers and administrators uh, in the district, which is pre-K-12, um, in curriculum, instruction, and I do a lot of technology support as well. Um, so I always say my day job is supporting teachers uh, pre-K-12 in anything, whenever they need it. So you knew you were an educator from early on. Your heart just pulled you into that profession. And then a twist happened later on. And initially you thought it wasn't the best, but you discovered that's really where you support best. Yes. Um, yeah. The twist threw me for a loop. I hadn't been here that long. I hadn't been in the field that long. Um, and I, at the time I didn't have a choice because when that happened, I had already been uh, like rift reduction enforced for that year. So I was rift, I was unrift, then my building was closed and then my boxes got labels to go to one building. And then they said, no, you're going to go to two buildings. So then all my stuff had to get split. And then they said, oh, okay, you're going to go to the, the board office and support teachers. So it was kind of a crazy time. And um, I am so thankful for it because now I have the opportunity to work with everybody. Um, and I've learned so much. You um, mentioned quite a few times the phrase support teachers, Jill. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, how were you introduced to the work of Thinking Collaborative? How did that become part of your portfolio of supporting teachers? Um, so in my role, um, even when I, I first went to the board office, I was, my direct supervisor has always been um, the curriculum director for our district. So when I first took that position uh, where I am now, there was um, another curriculum director there who I still keep in contact with. Um, she had gone to an Adaptive Schools Foundations um, and she told me, I need to go. You got you to go to this, okay? So I got online, I didn't know what it was. Um, and I found Michael was teaching in Toledo that winter. Um, which is right near my parents. So I didn't have to pay for a hotel or anything. And uh, it was free to Ohio educators. Um, so I went and um, he taught that first round of foundation. And probably by the morning break of that first day, I was hooked. So you found your way to um, somebody who was my mentor, Michael Dolce Mascolo. And serendipitously, it was free, it was convenient, and it didn't take long for you, though, to move from um, ease of access to passion. We're seeing it as a great fit for you professionally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I left that 
that first round of foundations and came back. And um, sometimes when I think back, I'm, I might have tortured people with strategies, <laughs> but um, I, I was, I was like ready to go. Like I, I, it, it, because I was placed in that position with no other background or experience in it, 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 it was the foundation of me figuring out how to facilitate and present to groups of adults. Mm-hmm. So it fit like a hand in glove with what you were tasked to do in the board office, in the district office. Mm-hmm. And you really found value in it early on, the beginning of day one. Uh, in what ways has the work of thinking collaborative enhanced your organization? Um, how is it? How did it start, and how is it currently being used? Um, yeah, so um, it it took a little bit to get some traction. I think um, my my dad always said the squeaky wheel gets the grease, so um, I squeaked in in a sense of every time teachers came to something with me. Um, we had an agenda. We had outcomes. Um, it was planned very carefully with strategies to support collaboration. So they were experiencing it. And um, then we switched curriculum directors. And then that switch, I got some people interested. We were able to bring around the foundations um, to the district uh, for administrators. And then um, was able to head down the path of becoming a trainer met my mentor, uh, went to, uh, advanced in 2015. Um, and then, and then from there taught a few times with my mentor, um, and, and since have achieved training associate. Um, so through all of that, all the rounds I've taught have been to mostly teachers in my district. So it's a fairly small ish district and I've been able to teach adaptive to, a little over 80 teachers when I count them all up. Um, and so I like to say I see glimpses of it out in the district, outside of, of the things that I uh, have the opportunity to influence. Um, I get to hear all of the track three things from teachers, um, the strategies and uh, working agreements and how they give directions have really changed some of our classrooms. And, and that's just I just love hearing those stories. Um, on my team, so my direct curriculum director and myself, uh, I like to say that we live the work all the time, the way that we collaborate with one another, the way we communicate, uh, the way we bring other groups, other departments onto things. Anything we plan starts with outcomes and we go backwards. Um, we have... Uh, it's a journey. So we have a long way to go. Um, I would love to see all the teacher teams uh, being able to have the norms up and set some goals. Um, but there, there are glimpses because in my setting, uh, it's, it's not mandated. It, it never will be. Um, so it's on a volunteer basis that people come to the seminar. So you put structures, strategies um, in place. And through your modeling, you've really started to see an impact. You've seen it start to grow and live within classrooms and um, on your, your teams that you work on. Mm-hmm. 
Jill, th- these are unprecedented times, and uh, you've you've used again the word collaboration several times, mm-hmm. talking about your journey and about your uh, interactions with the work of Thinking Collaborative. In these unprecedented times, what dispositions and mindsets do you think make teachers and leaders most successful today? Um, I really had to think about this one. And I had three things that just came right out, which were self-directedness, resourcefulness, and interdependence, uh, which I can elaborate on. But then I sat there and I stared at it and I thought, there's there's something missing. Um, and eventually I came around to, I think, one of the big things that teachers and leaders uh, would need to be most successful is some emotional intelligence of self and of others. Because I think if you have some emotional intelligence, so you're aware of your own emotions and are able to manage them so that you can get a sense of what's in the room, whether or not it's adults or students, um, it leads you to have some empathy and some compassion. Um, And I think that's something, especially right now, that people, everybody's stressed, everybody is stressed. And so if I can recognize that and manage it myself, then I can better help others and have some empathy for them. And the, the other things that I listed, those other kind of dispositions and mindsets, um, self-directedness, um, right now, like nobody knows the right answer to things. (laughs) There's there's nobody that has the answer to any of the questions that we have right now as educators. And so taking some initiative, uh, doing some research, trying some things, starting the conversations, I think is, uh, would make somebody really successful. Um, And then that leads into interdependence where who, who do you need to have in those conversations? Because again, we don't, we don't have it. We've never done this. I, Something I keep saying is well, the last time we had a pandemic was 102 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like no, nobody knows how to do this. Um, and resourcefulness. Um, be self-directed in recognizing what tools you do have. Uh, what is there for you to use to f- find solutions to those questions? For you, then, it's a marriage of the heart and the head. It's having Mm -hmm. cognitive abilities and trusting that inner voice, but also it's about having a heart and connecting with people on deep human levels. Yeah. Definitely. Sorry. No, I was just going to add that definitely the heart piece. Um, I think sometimes... Leaders have the, you know, the, maybe the head piece or they can find the resources. They know who to get in the conversation, but then some are, um, we lose the heart piece and that makes a huge difference. It's that empathy. That's that human element that makes it so compelling. Mm-hmm. So, so as you bring that heart forward and you, um, embrace the empathy that people so need right now. (laughs) Excuse me. In the last um, six, eight months, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your own personal life? 
your own professional life? Um, you know, I think it goes along with the, with the empathy piece is, um, I have it big bold letters here on my notes, presuming positive intentions is something that personally I have worked on for years and very deliberately. And sometimes in my life, like, like literally practice it in, in public settings, um, in my head, asking myself, you know what, in what situations might I feel or act similarly? So if I see something or experiencing something from somebody that's frustrating, or maybe not something I would do, or I don't think I would act like that, I stop myself very intentionally and ask that question. And um, it has really helped me personally and professionally just to presume positive intentions. Everybody is doing the best they can with what they have. And I, over the past few years, have started to realize if, if, if you don't believe that in education, then we're not going to get very far together because we'll just get frustrated with one another. So what grounds you in these times is really that seventh norm. Uh, presumably mm-hmm. positive intentions. And you've seen that um, being able to support you as you look around and, and support other people. Mm-hmm. In the time that you've been in education, and certainly since both Carol and I have been in education, the, the profession has changed dramatically. Uh, right now, again, you know, these are unprecedented times to use the language that that I used before. But what would you say to um, a smart, driven, aspiring educator that you met or encountered from the university or from, you know, your, your interactions, um, who's about to enter the profession? What advice might you give to this person? Um, I first and foremost, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. (laughs) Education is a complex system. Every year is going to look different. I was thinking about this today. Every year of what I do looks different from the year before. There's maybe a couple things I, you know, do the same, like, oh, I always put all the kids into the testing system. And that always happens around this time of the year. (laughs) Um, But other than that, it's just always different and it, it always will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my other really big piece of advice I think is to get curious and stay curious. So ask questions, seek out information. Um, and my note here says, but not in an annoying way <laughs> so, as in true curiosity. So it made me think of the focusing questions. So don't be afraid when you're in an organization, a school district or a building to start asking like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this this way? It has to come from a place of true curiosity if, if it's gonna come across right. Um, and then the other piece of advice I would have is to build relationships um, and build relationships with people who share similar values and beliefs. And as you grow, and change and learn your values and beliefs very well might change. And so sometimes those relationships, either they change or 
we can't be afraid to let them go. Um, I was talking to my husband about this when he said, well, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> I said, well, I mean, I think back to when I was in a building and what some of my beliefs and values were about students and their families versus where uh, those beliefs and values are now for me. Um, and, and those relationships that I had with those people were based around those values and beliefs and, and I don't have those anymore and, and that's okay. Uh, we all grow and change. So some of the stuff that you're talking about really reminds me of Emerson's self-reliance and, and that Emerson says, um, speak what you believe today in hard terms and tomorrow speak what tomorrow brings in hard terms, even if it might contradict everything you said today. And you're talking about flexibility and being um, someone who is open to change and, and constantly being intellectually curious and a critical thinker and that those things will um, sustain an individual and shifting sands and shifting um, circumstances of the profession and the world and the students that we teach. Yes, definitely. So being in education, as long as Dorian and I have been in education, uh, we've had those moments that haven't gone quite as well as we planned, those hiccups, those educational failures, those setbacks. Um, I haven't had any of those, Carol. Have you? <laughs> you no, know, no. Yeah, those, those learning moments. We call oh, them. Learning no, moments. We tell them they're all okay. Um, we learn from those. We pause. We learn from them. Yeah. So how has one of those hiccups, one of those leadership failures or even perceived failures uh, set you up for later success? What's a favorite story that you look back on sometimes and say, you know, I made it through? Um, gosh, I really had to think about this one. Um, and I couldn't pick out one, although <laughs> it was sort of a series of similar events. Um, and they all had to do with me hurting people's feelings, um, with my, like, um, communication so maybe like in all these situations, I was either facilitating or supporting like a team or something. Um, and by the way, this is before I knew you should put your idea on the table and climb off of it. <laughs> this is when I thought you should stand on the table with something and you should step on it so nobody else can take it. Um, and and, and so there's no favorite. There was just, I feel like there was probably a good six months to a year where I just didn't understand that. And, and I got passionate about things and it made me so angry when somebody would question it or not understand. Um, and so my tone, my language, I, I mean, I like hurt my friend's feelings. Um, thankfully I have mended those uh, relationships pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, but I let stress get in the way. I don't think I was very emotionally intelligent. Um, and, and of course, I just, I didn't get off the table. So one of those learning moments um, was really kind of a, a learning pattern. Mm -hmm. that found. And it was about um, recognizing when your feelings got in the way of other feelings and your passion. Mm -hmm. Um, seem to overtake some of that thinking. 
at the same time, you've learned to, um, again, live into those norms. Yeah. I, I call it, um, I'm in my feelings about something. So I have a friend who did cognitive coaching when we were able to bring Doreen to teach that to our district. And, um, we use the language together because then we can recognize one another, like, Oh, you're in your feelings about this. You just, just sit back and wallow in that for a little bit before, before you put something on the table. Um, but thankfully I've learned how to do that. So you recognize that sometimes it's just naming it mm -hmm. um, makes it um, livable and moving forward. Yep. Jill, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, if you could metaphorically speak, getting the attention and the message out to millions or billions in the field of education, um, what would your billboard say and why? It could be a few words. It could be a paragraph, something that is a soundbite that you could see and have enough time to read as you pass by it in a moving vehicle. What would it say? This is a super fun question. Um, so um, every day when my kids go to school, um, whether or not they're getting on the bus or my daughter, I drop her off at Latchkey. Ever since my son was in kindergarten, I tell them, make good choices, have fun, be kind every single day. Um, and, and I'm known at Latchkey for that. So they painted it on the wall. Um, I've heard that they have all the kids chant that before they get on the bus this year. Um, so I was thinking of that and, um, I don't think that we need to make good choices, um, as educators and adults, but I replaced it with be curious. So if I had a billboard, I think it would be be curious, have fun, be kind. Yeah. The whole idea of putting fun back into something that we do, uh, is crucial for, for everybody all the way from pre-K to the people who are teaching advanced placement or college courses that are in the district office, that whole idea of finding the, the joy. Mm -hmm. and the joy will even sustain you during the darkest times. So have yeah. fun. Yeah. Be curious. So knowing that life is just a little crazy right now, um, things have been busy and hectic and, how is it that you maintain a disposition of learning in this busy, crazy day-to-day -day, um, life that you have? Um, well, I'm fortunate to be able to do what I do um, because I support so many different people um, in so many different roles. I get to learn about lots of different things. Um, and I think it's just my nature to keep learning. Um, and figure it out. Uh, I come from a family of engineers. Um, and just in my house growing up, it was, we'll just figure it out. We'll just do it. So something my husband always kind of makes fun of me about is my mantra is like, well, it can't be that hard. I can do that. Um, and that leads me to just figuring stuff out. So I just, I, I don't have to be consciously intent on oh I'm going to learn this new thing it just naturally is part of what I do so you know people know they can email me hey I need help with blah 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 blah. I might not know anything about it or just a little bit and I'll dig in and I'll figure it out and and find what we need 
So for you, rather than a set of characteristics, it's more of a big overarching belief in self that you really believe you can do it. And that comes from family. It comes from uh, the resources that you've gained over the years. Yeah. We've been asking you to give us answers, answers, answers to all kinds of questions. This question is, um, what are the most important questions educators should be asking right now? Um, so I think one of the, the, the most important and um, goes along with changing form, clarifying identity, and deciding on what's essential. So the question being, what is essential? What right now, what is essential, um, whether or not that's professionally or like in our school buildings or personally out, out in the real world, but what is essential? And it started uh, me down the path of thinking about that idea of transition being between trapezes. And so some follow-up questions that I think educators need to be asking is um, in this space, because it feels like education right now is in between the two trapezes right? Like pandemic hit, everybody go remote in March. Boom, you've dropped that first one. And we're, I think we're still floating in that, that middle space. And so what should I hold on to? Um, that's new. And so what should I let go of? And what are some of the things I want to keep? Um, being grounded in what is essential? Um, kind of following some, some educators, um, on Twitter started going down like a rabbit hole about grading, which is something that I've helped teachers with over the years. Um, and I found myself the other day going, who cares? Who, who cares what the letter is right now? Like what is essential? Are my kids engaged with me? Are we, you know, learning something like who, who cares if the grades there on time? Um, and, and that was just, that hit me. Because I thought, man, if we could just get everybody to start thinking about what, what is essential um, and recognize that they're in this, this weird space right now. The whole idea, and a little bit borders on what Cubby talks about, is what's urgent and what's important. And you're saying that we have gotten so mired a lot of times in what is urgent, um, mm -hmm. you know grades or immediately responding to this and you're saying let's cut all of that extraneous stuff away and what's at the core what's really important and for you clearly a, a belief that you hold is that the kids and their learning is what's important all of the other stuff is superfluous yeah uh, yes um definitely and i and i I think it's hard for educators in the trenches, on the ground with students to sometimes take a, that, that larger view of just, just what is essential because they're just trying to get through, through every day. Um, but I think as leaders, if we have opportunities, we should provide that space for them to have those dialogue about what is essential and what really is, really what is our purpose here with kids. So a leader almost would be a tuner, be able mm. to kind of fine tune out of that white noise for what is the essential conversation, the essential questions 
um, the essential talk and eliminate all of that static. That's what leaders mm -hmm. need to do. Yeah. Yes. So you, you use the idea, the, the metaphor the, of an identity of maybe a trapeze artist, an, an acrobat, to where you were leaping um, gaps and, and at the same time holding on to essential things. Um, imagine now that you're a fortune teller and you had a crystal ball. And if you could look out to the future of education, what do you think it would look like um, five, 10 years? All right, this is going to sound really pessimistic, but my gut answer was the same. Um, I don't really believe that, but that was my gut because I thought 10 years, um, looked back in my, to myself 10 years and, and where I am, I, things have changed, but not, not so drastically that it looks different. Um, I would hope that through what we're learning through this pandemic and so many schools um, taking on remote learning, that what we would see in 10 to 20 years is learners taking ownership of their learning in all settings. Um, we have pockets of it here and there, um, but all learners from like pre-K through higher education, having opportunities to take ownership of their own learning because our educators are intentionally planning and carefully facilitating their experiences. Um, I'd love, I would love to think that in 10 to 20 years, we would not see any more traditional grades. And then in a sense, I wrote what in my notes over here, not too flipped as in, um, it, you know, sometimes we can fall down the rabbit holes of the cool technology and, um, I think we're just trying to take the things we've already always done and just try to force them into technology. Um, so, so keeping the human piece of it and um, being careful about the balance of the use of technology. I would hope that things are more collaborative because we have an opportunity to virtually collaborate with anybody anywhere in the world. Um, and we're in, educators in general were kind of forced to become comfortable with it this spring. Um, and the other note I made here is I really think that if higher education and so, you know, post uh, high school education, what changed a little bit, it might start to change what K-12 education looks like. So if when kids get to college, they have, um, more paths to choose with a greater choice of where to learn. Um, I listened to this really interesting podcast once about degrees and the meaning behind them nowadays, because you learn so much beyond that degree. So how, how might we change what that looks like in college and not the same traditional, you know, like this is the classes you take to become a teacher. Um, I just, I, I, haven't thought enough about it, but I think that that's one place I would love to see some change in the next 10 to 20 years. Your first reaction um, kind of disappointed you. Um, mm -hmm. Emma Cross is same mo, same mo. And you really have a hopefulness that you really want to dwell into um, that learners will become self-directed, that they will develop ownership over their, their own growth. 
And you see that as a path beyond um, K-12. Mm-hmm. You see it as a way to find direction in, in their lives. At the same time, you want to make sure that there's that balance in humanness and that hopefully some of the lessons we've learned with being online all the time is that collaboration comes out as a, as a, as a true value in the work that we do together. Yes. Mm-hmm. So do you like surprises, Jill? <laughs> of course. Okay. So <laughs> we have a couple of questions that are just surprise questions. Okay. Surprises. The first one is um, if, if memory is seated in the senses, right? And a lot of times something that you see can trigger a memory and something that you can hear can trigger a memory, especially for a musician like yourself. But they say that memory is most deeply rooted in the olfactory sense. So what is your favorite smell? Um, oh, gosh, that's a great question. So um, I would have to say, and I can't even much describe it, but it's the smell of Interlochen Arts Camp. Um <laughs> I was there three summers as a camper, and I worked there four summers. Um, so it's uh, Traverse City area, Michigan. Um, it's just the most wonderful place. And it's kind of a combination of, like, musty, old wood cabins that don't have any insulation or anything like that. Um, and in a lake and some woods. I, I, I can't describe it. It's rare outside of there when I like get to go back and visit that I smell something similar but when I do I, it's the best so a nice version of uh, fish sweat <laughs> and pine <laughs> yeah and like musty instruments I, <laughs> I would have said cookies or hot bread <laughs> uh, anything baking is good yeah pancakes and maple syrup for me <laughs> um, so, lightning round question two what makes your skin crawl oh gosh um there are some noises in just like everyday life that makes my skin crawl um one is my son when he clears his throat um and I know he can't help it but gosh <laughs> it just drives me nuts <laughs> Uh, another is does he know this does he know this okay okay so much so that he's developed like a way to try not to clear it but it still makes a noise and so it's like it's the same um no and the other one is um our forks on our our like ceramic dishes like when it scrapes on there um so when we my family eats spaghetti in these bowls, they have to eat them with plastic forks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will remember that next time we're together. We're having good. Um, and for the sake of time, can we ask another one, Carol? I mean, I know we're one more, and Let's then one more. Okay, one more. Um, all right. Would you rather ride a bike, a horse, or drive a car? Mm. Um, I think a bike. 
I think I, I, I guess depending on where I was going, but I think I'd rather bike. Doesn't definitely not a horse. From somebody who um, runs every day, you could would probably yeah. would rather just run, right? Instead of being I mean, <laughs> some some days. If I took some days off and was prepared, I could I could go a good race. Now, see, I would definitely prefer to ride a horse. I've only done it a few times, so so maybe if I had done it more. Um, but yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> um, Carol, how about you? Would you rather ride a horse, a bike, or drive a car? I would do any of the three. It's been a long time since I've ridden a horse, and I don't have the place right now to ride a bike, so car it is. Car it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening uh, to the First Thinking Collaborative podcast. This is a, an experiment and a labor of love, to be sure. We offer many, many thanks to Jill Hankey um, for her interview tonight, for her patience and her thinking and her passion about the work, both of Thinking Collaborative and the profession of education. Um, and Ryan Gleason, thank you always for your tech support. You and Jill certainly are invaluable to us in the work that you do. I'm so appreciative. And if um, you would like, you listeners, please go to our website at thinkingcollaborative.com. Uh, we have lots of resources there, book recommendations, even books written by our own training associates. There's information about upcoming seminar opportunities. There's a virtual treasure trove of things for you to, to look at. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at think underscore collab. And in our next podcast, um, not wanting to commit to a week perhaps or, or so, we'll have to figure out how long that's going to be. We'll be interviewing Phil Eccles, um, Administrator of Professional Learning for the Wake County Public School System in North Carolina. Hope you'll all tune in. Carol, would you like to say goodbye? Uh, we're glad you, that you joined us, and hopefully that you will. Um, this will prompt you with questions, with curiosity, and hopefully we'll meet up soon. Thank you.